The following podcast contains adult language and subject matter. Listener discretion is advised. You are listening to A Conversation with Albie. This is Episode 3, John Green. Everybody and welcome back to a conversation with Albie. We have some feedback for our last show. This is from Karen Green. She says, "This is great, Albie. I'm listening right now while grading papers. Really looking forward to going back and listening to your mom's interview. I am only about 40 minutes into Gary's interview, but it's good. I'm thinking of a list of questions for your next guest. LOL. Thank you very much. You can send email or an MP3 to baronspace at gmail.com." Or leave us a voicemail by calling 707-847-6682. That's 707-847-NOVA. And now, without any further ado, my very special guest, Mr. John Green. How you doing, John? I'm doing great, Albie. Thanks for having me here. Uh, thanks for doing this. Uh, you're one of my dream guests, and I got you on my third show. <laughs> well, I didn't have a lot going on today. <laughs> uh, one of those days where you only work one job. Mm. Yes. So, uh, what we like to do here at a conversation with Albie, is we like to start at the beginning. So uh, you were born November 12th, 1970. That's correct. I don't remember much about that day, but I was born in Birmingham, Alabama, 1970. Um, what's your earliest memory? <laughs> I told this story the other day to somebody. My earliest memory was of going to a Mexican restaurant in San Antonio, Texas, where we were greeted by a mariachi band that was hanging out in the lobby. And while we waited for our table, this mariachi band stood there and sang to me. And I hated them. They terrified me. I told them to leave me alone. And they just laughed. And they kept singing to me. Then, when we got seated, they would always find me, no matter where I was. And it just <laughs> felt like they stayed just at our table the entire time while we ate and sang to me in Spanish. And I would tell them that I hated them. Please leave me alone. Go away. <laughs> and they'd just laugh and, and just keep going. So any time I would realize that that's where we were headed, I would be filled with dread. And to this day... I am still terrified of mariachi bands. <laughs> that is my earliest memory. Sheer terror. Terror of Mexicans. <laughs> <laughs> this will be an interesting conversation for me because even though we've known each other for, what, how, how long now? I don't know, seven years? I know hardly anything about your past. Like, we don't really talk about that kind of stuff. We just talk about topical things of the day. Sure. So, uh, growing up, where, when, how, good, bad? Well, I was adopted, so I do not know who my real parents are. doesn't matter. The people that adopted me were the people I knew as my parents. And uh, my dad was in the Air Force. He was a doctor. So we moved around a lot. And I don't know. We lived somewhere different every couple of years, all over the South, Texas, Georgia, Alabama. And then he got out of the Air Force, and we moved back to Fort Worth, Texas, where he started a private practice. I was raised Mormon. They were Mormons. Uh, cheers. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that was one of the uh, stipulations of you doing this show, was being able to drink scotch. Yeah, I'm drinking vodka instead. I, I'm sorry I changed it up. It's vodka. Sky vodka, that's good stuff. Yes, and we are not being paid by the Sky Vodka people in any way, shape, or form. If they'd like to send us a case, that's fine. Sure, we'll endorse it. It's great. It's, <laughs> it's smooth. <laughs> 
So you grew up Mormon. Uh, the only thing I know about the Mormon faith is really what I've learned from uh, Trey Parker, Matt Stone, be it on South Park or the musical they did. Surprisingly, they one of them must have been raised as a Mormon because they know actually quite a bit. Like their information is pretty accurate. Uh, the stuff that they do on their show, I, don't, I haven't seen the musical, but it's it's great. It's awesome. They're pretty dead on on a lot of the uh, the dogma and the the practices and all that. I mean, they you know they 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 change it up to meet their needs, but they're pretty accurate. <laughs> um, I don't know. I guess it's not a bad religion. I, it's uh, you know, it's no worse than any other religion. Yeah, it's crazy, but equally as crazy as all the others. Oh, I mean, every every Mormon I've ever met, for the most part, has been a good human being. I mean, they're you know almost to a fault. Um, I had an assistant scoutmaster that was a dick. He used to hit. Yeah, he used to hit me. He was not a good person. <laughs> I've always wanted to look that guy up. Um, uh, I don't know. It's it's as good of a religion as any others. I don't. You know, at, at an early age, I realized that God didn't exist. Right. It was about ten years old for me. I was probably. I don't know. I was in the first grade. I don't know how old you are in the first grade. I, I don't know. No idea. I, I don't want to do the math. Seven, probably about maybe. nine, ten. Yeah. I don't know. That was when I first stopped believing, and then as I discovered more about science and coincidences and all the bad shit that goes on in the world, I stopped completely. Uh, yeah. Is this one of the reasons that, like, I've never met your parents or you mm. don't hang out with them? Is it the religion My parents, thing? I don't know where my parents are. They, I have no idea. They, uh, they sent me off to military school in the eighth grade, and I never really went home after that. That was Wentworth? No, that was Castle Heights Military Academy. No, 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 no I did go to Wentworth. Okay. Castle Heights closed. That was in Tennessee. Lebanon, Tennessee, home of the Cracker Barrel. Wow. And uh, then they sent me to Wentworth, and somewhere in the middle of all that, they had to stick me someplace for the summer, so they put, I came back from the ninth grade for the summer, and my dad's a doctor, so he talked to his one of his doctor buddies, and they committed me to an adolescent psychiatric hospital for the summer. Miraculously, at the end of the summer, when it was time to go back to school, I was cured, and they let me go, and... Did they just not want anything to do with you, or...? No, they didn't really like me. Um, it, it was a case of... I mean, you ever meet those people that you just don't like? You don't know why. You can't figure it out. You just don't like each other. You're just not you're not compatible for whatever reason, regardless of whether you understand it or not. That's kind of what happened here. Like I didn't like them, they didn't like me. It was just a it was a bad fit. Um you know, they they got me through school, they paid for my education, you know, they you know, nobody ever you know, I'm not I'm not saying I had a hard life. Nobody ever molested me or <laughs> know, did anything too damaging to me, and I got an education, and I have an interesting, I think, outlook on life and relationships with people, and, you know, I don't know how much of that comes from childhood with them or not, but, but I don't know, I, I, you know, but I don't know where they are. They could be dead. I don't know. I have no contact with them. No idea. Neither one of you have interest in contacting the other. No, no, no. Does that bother you sometimes, having that, like, empty spot that you don't have those parents, like, to Never. go to? It bothered... It, you know, I'm I'm 41 years old. I think it probably bothered me more when I was 18 years old, and then as I got older, I realized it didn't really matter. And I and 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 I talked to people and encountered people that had relationships with their family, and it was horrible. And I just I didn't understand what the point was, and I just it it made me actually feel better about getting out when I did. So no, and I've and and my wife has a pretty cool family. I mean, they're just as dysfunctional as any other family, and. You know, I, I feel like I'm a part of that. So, you know, I, whatever I need from a family, I guess I get there. I mean, I... Yeah, I'm a, I'm a firm believer in, like, you make your own family and you're not really 
if somebody's blood related to you, a lot of people like consider that like the most important thing. But I think if somebody doesn't treat me well or we don't get along, then that's fine. You know, you're just another person. But again, if somebody I'm not related to wants to get into my group and uh, we have a family-like structure, you know, it's, uh, I think family is more of uh, how people treat you than who's in your gene pool. Or sure, whatever. absolutely. Gene pool only counts if you need a kidney. <laughs> and now they have lists with computers so that you don't really need that. <laughs> so you've lived everywhere. I have lived everywhere. Um, what brought you to Florida? Every move I have ever made in my life has been to follow whoever I happen to be dating at the time. I went to the University of Kansas. When I finished there, I moved back to Kansas City, where I met Sarah, who was in the process of moving to Bozeman, Montana. So I said, what the hell? Yeah, Bozeman, Montana. Sounds like a great place. Let's go there. So I went to Montana. Our relationship went sour real quick. Then I ended up hooking up with Jen, who was moving to Eugene, Oregon. Sure, Eugene, Oregon. Sounds great. It wasn't. Uh... Then Jen and I went splits pretty quick, and eventually I ended up with Kelly, who was in the process of moving to Florida. Sure, what the hell, I'll move to Florida. So I came down here with Kelly, and that's how I got here. Uh, when was that about? It was exactly October of 1999, when I first came down here. You've been down here a while. Have you moved anywhere since and moved back? I lived in Fort Lauderdale. I lived in Dania, Florida. Spent some time in a federal prison in Florida. <laughs> okay, we'll get to that. <laughs> I'm sorry, were we saving that for later? Was no, no, no. Big, uh... no. <laughs> Dano Ma, no. And then I uh, moved back here because I thought it was a quaint little town. I like it. That's yeah, all right. Tell me about prison. Uh, <laughs> I, I know that's a weird uh, question, but um, normally people keep that private. I don't think you told me about that until we knew each other a few years. I had no idea you were willing really? to talk about it. Yeah. I told you everything was on the on the boards tonight. Talk about whatever you want. Cool. Um, I know a little bit about it. I didn't ask further questions at the time because I, you know, I didn't. Seriously, I've never told you anything about this. Uh, a little bit, but I'd like to hear the whole thing from you. Okay. In 1995, while I was living in Bozeman, Montana, I got a job that entailed me getting a phone call, me turning around at the restaurant I worked at, handing everyone twenty dollar bills to cover my shifts and me getting on the next plane to fly down to Houston. I would check into a hotel. The next day, someone would bring me a car. I would put on a nice outfit, shave, comb my hair, get in the car, and I would drive to Birmingham, Alabama. The car contained uh, a large bag of marijuana. Like, large, like 300 pounds. Like, a huge bag. And uh, I did that, and then I got out. So I don't want to do this anymore. Then years later... When I lived here, the federal marshals called and said, we're going to go ahead and prosecute you for that. How many years later was that? I think six years later. Five or six years. Right under the statute of limitations for that. And uh, what happened is somebody got caught for something and they said, well, I know this person, I'll turn this person in, I'll turn this person in. And it just started this whole chain that eventually came down to me. If there was a chart, like an organizational chart like you see on crime television, I'd be down like in the bottom right-hand corner at the very bottom of the pile. Just a small little picture. But they pulled me in and uh, confronted me and said, these are, these are all people that are cooperating. I knew most of the people on the list. Some people, I was like, I don't know that person. But they said, you can either cooperate or you can be a hard ass and, and do some real time. And I said, okay, I'll cooperate. Thank you very much. So I got a lawyer. And, uh, I, you know, I, I took the plea deal, but I, I hired the attorney to be my mouthpiece and uh, negotiate for me. And on one of my trips up to Birmingham, I got in the 
cab at the airport to go to his office, and I picked up the newspaper. He's on the cover of the paper. Back in the uh, 60s in Birmingham, there was a Baptist church that got blown up by the Ku Klux Klan, and there were three little girls in the basement, and the church collapsed on them and killed them. Nobody ever got brought to trial for this, but it was a very galvanizing event that happened, and it, it finally... The nation had had enough and demanded action, and this is one of the events that helped bring about the downfall of the Ku Klux Klan in the South. I mean, they're still around, but this really hurt them badly. Well, they were finally bringing one of the guys to trial, the bomber, and my attorney had been chosen to represent him. So <laughs> suddenly my phone calls aren't being answered. Every time I turn on CNN, there's my attorney, you know, talking to the national press. I, I, I got pushed to the, to the side. So... At any rate, I was somewhat bitter when I finally did see my attorney at my sentencing, and uh, just uh, I got uh, I got sentenced to 20 months in a federal prison, which is really not that bad. Um, the prison or the time? Well, we'll talk about the prison in a minute. The time, 20 months. You know, then I did some research, and it's well, you're going to do three and a half, three months of that in a halfway house. You're going to get two months off for good behavior. You're really only going to be in there for you know 14 and a half months. You know, a little over a year. And my attorney kept telling me, you know, he kept using words like uh, country club. And finally I said, you know what? I'm sure compared to most prisons, it's like a country club. But I've never been to those prisons. So I've been to country clubs. <laughs> I, I'm going to say it's probably closer to a prison than a country club for me. And, and unless you're going to be there to carry my golf bags, shut the fuck up. It's, it's a prison. So uh, then the judge, uh, you know, the judge actually gave me less time than the prosecutor was asking for. And I think it was because I... Uh, I didn't bring a family to, to plead mercy. I just was there with my girlfriend and her dad. He was pretty cool. And I just I just apologized to the court. I apologized to the prosecutor and you know, said, I'm sorry to the people. I apologized to my friends and family. And I said, all right, do what you have to do. That's, you know, I, I saw no point in crying and begging. I was pretty much laid out what was going to happen. So he gave me that sentence. And then he said, I'm going to give you six weeks to report to prison. They let you apparently show up at prison. If they wow. tell you when to be there, you have to go there. And uh, he said, I'm going to give you six weeks to get your life in order. And I said, well, <laughs> I said, I've had 30 years to get my life in order and it hasn't really worked, but I appreciate it. I'll take it. I'll see what I can do. I make no guarantees on what order my life is going to be in in six weeks, but thank you. I'll eat some McDonald's. <laughs> that was that. So six weeks later, I reported to prison in Miami. Miami? Yeah, because I lived in Fort Lauderdale. Okay. It's the closest federal prison. They generally try to put you close to your home. Mm. Visitors and such. Yeah. Was that rough on the relationship you had with your girlfriend at the time? Absolutely. Absolutely. She uh, she ended up leaving me six months into it, which sucked, but it worked out. I mean, the, the lesson I learned was, why would I want to be with someone who doesn't want to be with me? I understand, you know, whatever. I'm powerless over this, so... I got bigger problems, you know. I got to figure out how to get my stuff out of her apartment now. I had friends that went over and got all my stuff and held it for me, and so I was all right. But then I ended up meeting Karen, my wife, because her brother was in prison with me, and she used to visit him every Thursday, and my girlfriend used to visit me every Thursday. So I ended up meeting Karen, who I ended up eventually marrying. I don't know. I'm ruining the uh, punchline here, but... June 17, 2003? That's when we got married. Karen's a lovely lady. She is. Um, tell me about your time in prison, though. How was that? I mean, that would scare me. It really would. Oh, it was definitely the most terrifying moment of my life, knocking on the door of a prison saying, hello, please let me in. <laughs> and they brought me in, and they process you. Like, I was going to the camp, which is in the parking lot, and it looks like a camp. You know, like, I mean, it's still a prison. There's barbed wire, but not a whole lot. And it's, you know, there's a volleyball court, and there's, you know, it's, it's pretty laid back. 
but it's in the parking lot of a real prison, like a, a, a medium high security prison where they put Manuel Noriega was there. Um, they process you in the real prison. So I got a glimpse into that place and that was probably the most terrifying moment up until the point when I walked into where I was going to stay and that, that's where it got even scarier. But yeah, it was terrifying because everything I had read leading up to this point said, don't take any help from anybody. Don't take anything. Don't, don't borrow anything. Don't accept any help because everyone's trying to get into your butt. Now, the book I was reading was more designed for people going to state prison. People going to minimum security prisons actually do want to help you. (laughs) (laughs) So everyone was very helpful, which terrified me because I felt like there was an enormous (laughs) army of people trying to get into my butt. So that was terrifying. In retrospect, my first few days would have been so much easier had I just accepted the help from all the people that were offering it, but they didn't. So I, I, yeah, that sucked. Terrifying. Couldn't eat for a few days. I probably lost 20 pounds in the first two weeks just because I couldn't stand the food. I ate soup every day just to keep me alive, and yeah. But eventually, you find your niche if you don't try too hard, and you find a group of people, and you go with that, and things get better and better and better, and by the end, it was like summer camp. Not so bad. No, not at all. And I met my wife, so it worked out. So you met her through uh, her brother. Mm-hmm. Were you guys cellmates or something? No, we didn't live in cells. We lived in a big... Um, like a barracks, kind of, like with just bunk beds and desks and lockers. There were 80 of us in, in a big-ass room, which is horrible in itself because the snoring and the noises and people of all ages and people in different stages of decay. And if somebody got sick, we all got sick, and we stayed sick. And, yeah, it was just wretched. So, no, he was a guy that we played beach volleyball with. He was pretty cool. And uh, then I befriended him, and then I got his sister's address, and then I started writing letters, which is creepy. I mean, don't, if you ever go to prison, don't give your sister's address out to people. Like, I I was shocked at how easy it was for me to get that. Don't do it. It's just dangerous. Yeah, Karen plays volleyball too, right? She used to. She was a professional beach volleyball player until she hurt her back. Now she is a teacher of eighth grade mathematics. So she didn't seem to mind meeting you uh, through prison? No. That's good. I always tease her because John showed me a letter that she mentioned me in, and I scanned the letter very quickly, and she'd made a mention of looking for a man who didn't exist, and I became the man that didn't exist. <laughs> and there's some contention about that, like she hates that. She's going to hate it if you air that, uh, thought I said that, but uh, yes, I became the man that didn't exist. Uh, intentionally, or? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Probably a little bit of both. <laughs> you guys seem really great together. Yeah, she's awesome. She's given me a soul. Aw. So, what was it like getting out of prison? <laughs> you mean the day I got out of prison? Yeah. Well, uh, it was a pretty good day, I'd have to say. Uh, my friends came and picked me up. Something happened. You only get so much time to get to the halfway house. And something happened, so I got out late. So I didn't have time to go dick around at a store or a McDonald's or anything. They just had to take me straight to the halfway house. And I thought I would get time to go to the store and buy razors and soap and all that. No. So Karen met me for dinner because they didn't have a cafeteria at this halfway house, so they sent me down to IHOP to eat. (laughs) So I had Karen meet me, and I asked her to bring me soap and razors, and I always kid because she brought me the cheapest ass razors there were. And I don't blame her (laughs) because she wasn't sure where we were going with this relationship, and uh, so she bought me some nasty cheap razors that really hurt me, and um, I still tease her about that. But, uh... Yeah, I had to suck it up and say, please, get me some stuff. And uh, so that's how we started our relationship, her taking care of me. And we've pretty much carried that <laughs> till today. <laughs> what else do you want to know about prison? I think that covers it. And that was all because of marijuana. Yes. 
I think that's ridiculous. Yeah. I'm straight edge, so I don't really do drugs or drink, but I'm very much strongly in the opinion that it should be legal. Well, especially pot. Yeah, I mean... I don't even smoke pot. Right, but it should be legal. Yeah. Same effects as uh, alcohol, but less damaging to your body. And not violent. Never known anyone that smoked pot that wanted to fight you. The only thing I think it makes you want to do is sit on your couch. Yeah. I can't even smoke weed. If I smoke weed, seriously, I just sit wherever I happen to be, and I can't... I can barely breathe. I can't focus. I can't talk. I just... I can't... I've tried it. I can't do anything. I've... I've slept at strangers' houses before because they let me smoke weed in their house. <laughs> so I stopped, yeah, I stopped smoking weed when I was a kid. No way. I don't understand why people would, I don't understand how you can wake up and smoke weed and start your day. I mean, if I woke up and smoke weed, I would, that'd be it. I wouldn't get out of bed. Yeah, I, go back to bed. And I know people that can't get out of bed without smoking weed, and then they start their day, and then they go drive a car, and then they go to work, <laughs> and then they come back and they smoke some more weed. I, I don't get it, but... And these are the things you think about when you're driving with a giant duffel bag with a huge brick of marijuana from right, Mexico. Right, right, right. So you didn't get caught doing that. Oh, no. Never Either got caught. You, somebody just ratted you out to oh, yeah, make their... Oh, yeah. But they had enough corroborating evidence, okay. airline tickets and transfers. How, how does one get a job like that? I had a friend. It's, you know, it's, it's who you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's who you know. Was there good money in it? Yeah. It was worth it? Like yeah. the risk, yeah? Well, it was exciting, too. I mean, yeah, it was good money. Where'd you get married? We got married... I got invited to a wedding in Eugene, Oregon, and we had a layover in Las Vegas on the original itinerary. So then I said, why don't we redo the itinerary and just get married in Vegas? Let's stay there a night and then fly on to Oregon the next day. So we did. So we got married at an Elvis church, or a chapel with an Elvis, in Las Vegas. And then we went up to Eugene, Oregon, and spent the next few days in Portland and Oregon, and, you know, it was, it was nice. The guy whose wedding we were going to was pissed, and he never spoke to me again. Um, I think he felt that I uh, was trying to upstage him by getting married one day before he did. <laughs> Stealing his thunder. Yeah, and, and I really wasn't trying to do that, but I also didn't really give a shit because it was convenient. And I did take a little bit of pleasure in getting married the day before he did. Hmm. I'll admit it. It's not why I did it, though. It was just a benefit. So you were already engaged at this point? Well, our <laughs> did, she, did Karen write you and tell you to ask me how we got engaged? No, not at all. We had just made the sweet love. Hmm. <laughs> and we we're laying in bed, and I said, so, you know I'm going to ask you to marry me someday, right? And she was like, yeah. And I said, so you're going to say, yeah, right? Yeah. Okay, so are we engaged now? <laughs> yes. So we're going to get married? Yep. Okay, cool. That was that. That's also why she doesn't have a wedding ring, like a she diamond doesn't. ring. There was no engagement ring. She has a wedding ring, but not an engagement ring or no ring? Correct. Okay. No, we have wedding rings. Okay. Which... I lost the money for, like, we were paying them off, and then I went to a casino, and I actually won the rest of the money to pay the wedding rings off, and then I didn't walk away, because I thought, hey, we can buy more wedding rings, <laughs> and uh, I lost everything. So I had to take her out to dinner at the Ale House in Fort Lauderdale and say, yeah, I lost the money for the wedding rings, but wait, 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 I can get it back. <laughs> Don't worry, we'll have our wedding rings. And we did, and the fact that I did that at the Ale House kind of saved me from big problems, I guess. Because you did it in public? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Otherwise, she would have... Stabbed me with a steak knife. <laughs> but she was able to forgive you? Mm. Oh, yeah. And she's accepted my degenerate gambling addiction as part of what she married. Okay, and uh, married life in Cape Coral? You have a beautiful house. <laughs> That's one of the first things uh, when we started hanging out that impressed me was your house and how mm. well it's kept and furnished. And That's just because you didn't have a house. That's true. Now you have a beautiful house. I have a house. Your house is pretty damn cool. 
to... For those of you that are listening, Albie's house is like what a... If there was a 14-year-old boy that won the lottery and could buy any stupid-ass toy he wanted, this is what the house would be. This is what that little boy would have. Yeah, I'm kind of like Tom Hanks from Big. And if that little boy had a thing for, like, 1980s, 1970s retro, yeah, Star Trek stuff, and I'm imagining lots of vintage pornography, but... Yeah, right there, next to Buzz Lightyear. The pornography? Oh, and there it is. Sex Trek 4. <laughs> the search for something. The search for cock? Spock. <laughs> Interesting life so far. And then somehow you met me. How did we meet? We met because I had quit my job managing a restaurant, and Karen had allowed me to deliver pizza for a summer. And at the end of the summer, Karen said, Okay, buddy, it's time to go back to work. Find another job. And I had just heard that the staff or management or something had happened at Perkins. Strange things were afoot. So I went down there with my resume. And all the big wigs were there from corporate because there was no management there. And they were all trying to fix the store and figure out what was wrong. And I said, hey, I'm John Green. I want to be a cook. And they said, no, how about you be a manager? <laughs> and I said, how about we be a cook first and then we'll talk. So they hired me and I started cooking. And I, I came in the next day and there it was Albie. There you were. And I started cooking. And I think you thought I was some sort of spy or somebody because... I did. You know, like Undercover Boss, before that was an actual show or whatever, I was like, there's no way this guy hasn't worked for this company for 20 years, you know, because you were that good on your first day. And you seemed like uh, alpha male type, like everybody would just say, you're general manager on your first day kind of thing. <laughs> so I, I really was like, okay, somebody's testing me somehow. So it was kind of weird. But after a few months of you working there, I figured out that probably wasn't the case. Yeah, I quit a couple times. <laughs> Both times I walked out. I threw my spatula up in the air, and I walked out. You have a lot of jobs. Where I've only had a few jobs in my life. You're kind of the opposite. Yes, I've had over 100 jobs. You're like uh, Homer Simpson. <laughs> Homer Simpson has always worked at the nuclear power plant. Right, but he's tried other things. Yes, Mr. he was Powell, an astronaut. Astronaut. Um, and a country music promoter and a wrestler, a boxer. I mean, yeah. He worked at carnivals. He got shot in the stomach with a cannon. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I'm a big Simpsons fan. Have you done that? I have never been shot in the stomach with a cannon. Let me think what my strangest job would have been. I was a tax examiner for the IRS for one week in Kansas City. <laughs> you know how when you do your federal taxes, there's like some address somewhere. I think we send it to Atlanta, maybe. Mm -hmm, right. Okay, well, Kansas City is a big center. And uh, I got hired as a tax examiner. All I wanted to do, you had to take a test. All I wanted to do was be one of the guys that sorts the mail. That's it. I just wanted to sort the mail. And I scored too high on the test, and they said, no, you're going to do this job. You're going to be a tax examiner. You're going to have a desk. You're going to have a phone. You're going to actually do taxes. And I, I didn't want to do that. It was horrible. But I had a badge for a while, and I had some sort of security clearance. And <laughs> yeah, that was a strange job. Job you most enjoyed in your life? When I was in college, I worked at a place called the Free State Brewery, which is still there. And uh, it was in an old like trolley car station where, where cable cars used to come through. And uh, so it's this big cavernous stone building, and they had the brewery behind glass. And uh, it was stone and brick, and, and it's still there, and it's still cool as hell. It's still the coolest place in town. And I made so much damn money. This would have been in 1991, 92, part of 93 probably. I... I, I made so much money in college. I mean, I, this was back, you know, in the early 90s in college in Kansas, and I was probably making 20, 25 grand a year, which for that 
time and that place and what I was doing in my life, which was going to college, that was, that was all the money in the world. I never bought groceries. I never, I went on five vacations a year. I'd just fly wherever I wanted, whenever I wanted for the weekend. Oh, I want to go to Portland for the weekend. All right, I'll fly to Portland. We used to fly to Chicago just for the hell of it. It, that was awesome. My friend is still the manager of that place, and I'm actually going to stay with him and his family uh, in a couple months. Karen and I are going to Lawrence for a week, so we're going to go see that and have lunch at the Free State. That was definitely the coolest job I've ever had. What was your college life like? <laughs> there was a lot of drinking, a lot of drinking. If I still drank like I did in college, I'd be, I'd be dead. There's no way. And there were times in college where I'd say, I'm going to try to quit drinking for 15 days or two weeks. I'm going to stop for two weeks. And I'd have to restart the clock several different times because I'd forget that I'd made that deal. And I'd be at the bar drinking, you know, after work. After work, we'd get off at the Free State and we'd run down the street to the Jazz House, which is still there. And we'd come pouring into the door and the bartender would just start sliding our drinks to us because he knew what we liked. And we'd get three or four of them and we'd just slug them down before last call. And uh, then we'd go to my place and drink. Then the bartender would come from the jazz house. Then he'd say, let's go back to the jazz house. Sometimes we'd open up the jazz house. Sometimes we'd be there till 6 in the morning drinking at the jazz house. Uh, if anyone from the jazz house is listening, sorry. Sorry about all that. <laughs> I don't know. I There's not, I mean, there's, I don't know. I guess my college experience was similar to everybody else's, except for all the money. When you go there to study, uh, what were your dreams of being when you grew up after college? Any purpose or just to go to college? I started in college as a business major, and that lasted about two weeks. Then I became a theater major. Then I that lasted about a month or two. Then I became a nursing major. Then I thought about becoming a history professor. Then I took a literature class and fell in love with literature. So I studied English with the intent of someday opening up a fish and chips restaurant. No. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, I studied English with no career in mind. I didn't go to college for trade school. I was a shiftless, like, just, I had no clue what I wanted to do, even in college. I think I wanted to open up a brewery, just like the Free State Brewery, somewhere in a town that didn't have one, and, and have that be my thing. Uh, I had no clue how to do that either. Uh, so, yeah, I just went to college for my own fun, I guess. You graduate? No. But everybody thinks I did. <laughs> I I quit with about a year left because I think I have a fear of success and I'm very self-destructive. So that wasn't the first time, it wasn't the last time that I got close to doing something and then blowing it up. What else have you gotten close to doing but didn't quite work out? I was a professional comedian for three years. Somewhere in the middle of all that, I went to prison. And when I got out, I used the fact that I was on probation as an excuse to not do it anymore. Reality, I really do miss it. Yeah. Did your uh, theater experience help with uh, being on stage and all? or Not in any way. My self-destructive self-loathing helped me with stand-up comedy. Was it uh, like uh, self-deprecating humor or something? No. Some of it, but not a lot. I, I There's a psychology to comedy. Audiences like it when you beat yourself up a little bit, but ultimately, they want you to come out on top. I mean, we used to laugh when... Christina Applegate would make fun of Ted Bundy and Married with Children. But ultimately, we'd cheer when Ted Bundy came out on top. Same thing with Homer Simpson. You know, he rep he represents us. The Simpsons used to be about Bart when it first came on. It was all about Bart, Bart, Bart. Over time, it evolved to where Homer is the main character of The Simpsons. Because we love Homer. Because we are Homer. So, in answer to your question... Now, were you saying Ted Bundy or Al Bundy? 
<laughs> I think those are two different people. <laughs> Not all of us are rooting oh, for Ted shit, Bundy, right? Oh, shit, you're right. <laughs> Good one, Freud. That's uh, Sky Vodka for you. Again, goes down smooth. The preferred vodka of Ted Bundy. <laughs> Al Bundy, I'm sorry. Al Bundy. <laughs> So, uh, what were some of the kind of things you were talking about in your stand-up routine? Well, I tried to stay away from topical humor because you do you do shit about the president. It's worthless next week. Mm-hmm. I try to talk about stuff that Seinfeld wasn't talking about, so there were no "What's the deal with airplane food?" <laughs> I, you know, I didn't do any of that. I I would talk about I don't know. I I talk about failed relationships. I mean, I guess a lot of comedians do that. I you know I talk about I you know what. My philosophy was always, I'm going to talk about stuff that we all agree with, but are too scared to really talk about. And and so, like, a lot of my stuff, people would laugh, and they'd feel horrible for laughing, <laughs> and they'd try to stop, but they couldn't, but they hated themselves for doing it. That was awesome. Uh, I, you know, I'll admit it, I ripped on the homeless so much, because Eugene, Oregon is a town filled with 19-year-old homeless kids that are choosing to do it because it was hip. It was a lifestyle. It was, you know, if you're truly homeless, yeah, I'm not going to make fun of you. But it's the the homeless kids with the dogs, with the phones, (laughs) with the money for cigarettes. I I mean, it. it, and I I ripped on them quite a bit. Um, I ripped on dirty-ass hippies, which was great material in Eugene, Oregon, a town founded by dirty-ass hippies. Uh, Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd rip on... Political correctness. Uh, I mean, I wasn't Andrew Dice Clay, but uh, you know, I, I, and I, I. Sometimes it didn't work well. Sometimes it, it would blow up in my face, and that's pretty bad feeling. But uh, when it worked, man, damn, that was awesome. Well, you got paid the same whether you're bombed or not, right? Absolutely. So there you go. Um, yeah, homeless people. I used to have a different opinion on them. I used to, if any homeless people are listening to this, uh, <laughs> you should pay rent and not uh, have an iPhone. Uh, I had a different opinion on homeless people before I actually experienced it. When I went to Miami for WrestleMania, everybody, pretty much everybody there was a homeless person. Sure. Were they trying to sell you a newspaper? Or? Uh, no, just begging for money. And like the same guys every day would say the same thing because they didn't remember you or care. You know, they needed right. bus fare to get somewhere. Guy came up to us at our table at McDonald's. The McDonald's there, there was about 15 homeless people in McDonald's. More people were homeless than actually worked there. And they had like a whole system down where like they would walk up to the counter and they would give them change to use the pay bathroom. It was weird. But the same guy came up to us and was like, I'm 50 cents short to get a sandwich. And he had about $3 and change there and McDoubles are a dollar. So, I mean, their stuff wasn't even good, but they very much seemed like they chose that lifestyle. Yeah. I mean, I if somebody's out of a job and, you know, they're looking for a job and this and that, it's a different thing. Well, one of one of my more controversial lines was talking about how when we give them money, we're just we're just messing with the natural order here. We're prolonging, <laughs> <laughs> and Mother Nature's going to get pissed at you and turn her wrath onto you. So it's just best to to, to stay out of it. Um, I don't know. I just I, over the years, I've just I just don't care. I mean, I don't care about anything really. I, like like as far as social issues, I just don't care. I if I I've always told Karen we need to get a family crest and it needs to say. Everything works out for the greens. It needs to say, if we forget it, we can buy it. And it needs to say, don't get involved. Because that's our, those are our slogans. That's our motto. And, uh, you know, probably a little harsh, but yeah, I don't care. I mean, I don't, I don't try to hurt people. I don't try to affect the world in a negative way. I try to, you know, I don't try to litter. I don't try to, you know, put 
bad, I don't know, I don't know, bad energy out there, but uh, I don't care. <laughs> I just. <laughs> That's very honest. Yeah. First thing I think we bonded over was, uh, I'd say the two things, but first was uh, we both knew Chris Kahn. And I was like, wow, you know Chris Kahn. And then you would tell me your Chris Kahn stories, and I would tell you mine and stuff like that. Because when, when you work at a restaurant with somebody, you're standing next to somebody for, what, six hours a day? Yes. So you end up talking about everything eventually. This is part of my toast at your wedding. Speaking of, let me play that for people who weren't at the wedding. <laughs> We're going to turn the mic right over to John. Thank you. Hi there, everybody. My name is Jonathan Green. Uh, I met Albie a few years ago. We worked at Perkins together. And when you cook pancakes next to a guy long enough, you learn a lot about him. <laughs> uh, one of the things I did not learn about Albia Perkins was that he was in love with Heather. I found that out the same way we all did when the first Amber Alert went out. <laughs> no, I mean, I get it. Albie got to date a great woman, and Heather finally got in to get into uh, rated R movies. <laughs> seriously, if I could just pass on a little bit of wisdom to you guys, it would be that you need to have a sense of humor about things. And you both have great senses of humor, and that's going to come in very handy in your marriage. Um, seriously, I, I could have the worst day, and when I come home, my wife and I will share a laugh, and everything's great. I mean, everything just melts away, all the problems, and, and that's what I want to impart on you tonight. So, I, that's it. That's my speech. <laughs> if everybody would please raise your glasses, let's drink to keeping a sense of humor and to Albie and Heather. Yay! Live long and prosper. <laughs> Thank you. That's it. Get back to the party. What you're saying? I don't know. Oh, um, yeah, we talked about Chris Con. Yeah, what about Chris Con? I don't know. <laughs> um, damn it, where were we going with that? You, he was our common friend, acquaintance, whatever. Guy that we both knew. Yeah, he was a great friend of mine for a long time. Not so much anymore. He doesn't call me, talk to me. He's on Facebook. He's an angry little man still. Yeah. Um, I'm thinking, uh, partially I'm thinking it had to do with me not picking him as a best man. I have a lot of good friends and... Pretty much every one of them that wasn't my best man was pretty mad at me for not making them my best man. You weren't upset with me. Uh, I thought I was kind of... <laughs> you were my best man, and I appreciate that. I, it was weird. I felt like I was imposing at the time because we really hadn't known each other long enough. Kind of like, you know, the Seinfeld thing where he wants me to help him move furniture kind of thing. Like, I was, like, overstepping the bounds of our uh, relationship at that point. So, in that analogy, I'm Keith Hernandez. I'd say yes. All right, cool. No. No, I'm Keith Hernandez. Damn, you're, you're Seinfeld. Seinfeld. I'm Seinfeld. Yes. All right. Damn. Okay. Did you feel like I've never known this guy? I've only known this guy a couple of years, and he's asked me to be my best no, man. No, God, no. I got out my bucket list and promptly scratched that thing off. Be somebody's best man. <laughs> <laughs> Throw a bachelor party. Yes, thank you. That was awesome. No, it was, it was horrible, everybody. We went to the strip club. Laziest bunch of strippers I've ever seen. I've never walked out of a strip club with money <laughs> still in my pocket, stuck on my face. I mean, I had it sticking out of my pockets. Days. I mean, I don't know what was wrong. I invited a whole bunch of people. Uh, four people showed up, so you find out who your friends are and stuff. But it was uh, you, me, Thunder, and my brother Ralph, I think. 
Yeah. We went to steak dinner, had a couple of drinks, and we went to the strip club. And yeah, uh, everybody was giving me money and going, look at the money, look at the money, and giving it to me, and I was holding it. And strippers were lazy, yeah? Lazy strippers. So we ended up going home kind of early that night. <laughs> but uh, I still had a good time. No, it was good. The steak was good. Yeah, it was a good steak. I still can't tell the difference between a T-bone and a porterhouse. I, I, I don't know. Do you want to get into this now? I... Do, you, do you know the difference? I don't know. I ordered. I ordered the biggest. I ordered the biggest steak I, in the place. That's what, what I, I ordered. I think a porterhouse is like. It's like different cuts still intact. Like the. I think a porterhouse has the fillet and the strip and the. I, I don't know. I, I, come on. I just thought it was funny. I ordered the biggest steak in the house, and when they brought it out, I had the smallest steak at the table. Yeah. It was, like, ironic. Is that ironic? I, I just think that's bad luck. Bad I don't luck. know. Okay. I think irony, the word irony gets overused. <laughs> Every time I think something's ironic, I write it down it's and I want to ask you. Yeah, it's probably not. I just don't understand the word, but that's fine. The wedding was a good experience for me. Um, <laughs> really? Your wedding was a good experience for you? Good for you. Better than that's I thought true. it was, because, you know, I wasn't looking forward to it. I was looking forward to being married. To Heather, but I wasn't necessarily looking forward to getting up in front of a bunch of people, you know. Yeah, I told you you should have gone to Vegas. You get up in front of a few strangers. Somebody sings, I just want you to be my teddy bear. I'm thinking about going to strangers' weddings in Las Vegas just to uh, make people, just to give them a story to tell. You know what, there was this weird guy sitting there watching our wedding. I don't think they'd let me in. That would be cool, though. Uh, Just to let you know how cool this man is, when I needed help a few months back doing the holiday edition of the Terra Nova podcast, where we reviewed It's a Wonderful Life. I wanted to record the song that we sing at Mr. Green's Christmas parties all the time, and that is Albie, It's Cold Outside. And he graciously agreed. So here, let me play that. I really can't stay. Albie, it's cold outside. I've got to go away. Albie, it's cold outside. This evening has been... Been hoping that you drop in. So very nice. I'll hold your hands there just like I... Heather will start to worry. Beautiful, what's your hurry? Meat Cookie will be pacing the floor. Listen to that fireplace roar. So really, I'd better scurry. Beautiful, please don't hurry. Well, maybe just half a drink more. Put some music on while I pull. The neighbors might think. But Albie, it's cold out there. Say, what's in this drink? No cabs to be had out there. I wish I knew how. Your eyes are like starlight. To break the spell I'll take your hat Your hair looks swell I ought to say no, 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 sir Mind if I move a little closer At least I'm gonna say that I tried What's the sense in my pride? I really can't stay Albie, don't hold out But it's cold outside Come on, Albie Come on, Albie. I simply must go. Albie, it's cold outside. The answer is no. Darling, it's cold outside. This welcome has been... 
I'm lucky that you dropped in So warm and nice Look out the window at that storm Heather will be suspicious Man, your lips look very delicious Nasty butler will be there at the door Waves upon a tropical shore TC's mind is vicious Gosh, your lips are delicious Well, maybe just have a drink more Never such a blizzard before I've got to go home Albie, you'll freeze out there Say, lend me your coat It's up to your knees out there You've really been grand I thrill when you touch my hand But don't you see How can you do this thing to me? There's bound to be talk tomorrow Think of my lifelong sorrow. At least there will be plenty implied. If you caught pneumonia and died. I really can't stay. Get over that holdout. Albie, it's cold. Albie, it's cold outside. Albie, it's cold outside. Well, I really shouldn't. Come on, Albie. This is kind of weird. We can watch Terra Nova. All right. You're having a child. <laughs> yes. Your kid is going to have a hell of a time figuring out what toys he or she can play with and which toys are collectibles. What are you having, a boy or a girl? Do you know yet? I do not know yet. Actually, we are going tomorrow morning at 11 a.m. to find out. Oh, good luck. Um, Thank you. I don't care if it's a boy or a girl. I'm just happy to have whatever it is. Too much lime in that? No, it's fine. Oh, it looks kind of green. Yeah, there's a big lime in it. Oh, okay. I see. That's okay. <laughs> We can we can slog through this. All right. So besides imposing on you to ask you to be my best man, I recently just asked you and Karen to be the guide parents to the kid, and you agreed. Sure. So thank you very much. No, it's awesome. Check it off my bucket list. <laughs> not be not be guide parents, but screw up some kid's head. Like that's <laughs> that's on my list. So I'm gonna go ahead and scratch it off because we know that's coming. <laughs> we appreciate it. Well, don't say that yet. I, we could be horrible. Oh, no worse than me. <laughs> um, but uh, again, people have wanted to, like, volunteered. I got a lot of volunteers. Oh, Lord. And you had to tell them that. You remember the guy that was my best man? Yeah, he's already doing this. <laughs> yeah, he's already got that slot. You know, what do you do when all those people ask you to for that? I mean, and of course, you never ask for any of this. You never want part of it. <laughs> and I'm like, Mr. Green, Mr. Green. <laughs> Guess what I got going on now? Guess what we need now? Kidney. <laughs> uh, some, of, some of these times, do you like go, damn it, why did I uh, ever... Why do I answer the phone? Oh, yeah, I need help with my computer. <laughs> why, damn. Why am I ever friends yes, with that kid? Yes, Albie, I'll be the guide parent to your kid, but I need you to help me install a printer. So besides bonding over Chris Khan, which uh, hopefully I'll have him on the show one day, we also bonded over making t-shirts. Like I was telling... That's right. Yeah. I was telling someone today that story. You got me turned on to CafePress.com. Everybody, go buy a t-shirt. You told me you make t-shirts, and you make money doing it. And I said, tell me more. And you told me more, and I made t-shirts. I didn't make them at first. At first, I had other people do the artwork for me, because I didn't think I could do it. And then I figured out how basic it is, and how people will buy anything if you put it up on the internet. So I started doing t-shirts, and making pretty good money doing it. On CafePress.com. Slash. Slash, I don't know. I need my bacon time. Oh. <laughs> I need my bacon time. Yeah. 
tell me uh, about some of your designs. Uh, what, what's the most popular sellers, and like which which T-shirts have you sold where you were like, "There's no way somebody bought that." I made that as a joke because that happens okay. to me all the time. When the New England Patriots went undefeated in the regular season and they had one game left, the Super Bowl, I put up a shirt as soon as it, they announced that the Patriots were going to the Super Bowl. I put up a shirt that said "18 and one." Hey, you only lost one game. <laughs> On the off chance that the Giants beat the Patriots. The Giants did beat the Patriots, but because my shirt was up there weeks before it actually happened, anytime people Googled it or searched it 18 and 1 in reference to the Patriots, my t shirt popped up. I sold that shirt for years all over the world. It didn't make sense at all. People were buying it three years later. <laughs> um, that was my first big hit. Um, shirt that makes me think, what the hell are people doing with this? Um, Someone in the China in the Olympics when they were in Beijing, one of the table tennis, the ping pong players, put too much glue on their handle and they passed out because of the fumes. <laughs> so Karen made a T-shirt that had a ping pong paddle on it and it said "Smell my paddle." <laughs> and people buy that all the time, and I've never sold it on any adult piece of clothing. It's always on little kid onesies. <laughs> what? And I don't understand it. I don't get it. I don't know what the double meaning could be here. I have no idea. And I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably the weirdest thing. Um, I have a shirt up there right now that says Bacon Horror, and it's in bacon letters. And eventually someone will buy it. Is there a bacon font, or did you make there it out of bacon? There's a bacon font. No, okay. there's a bacon font. Okay. Um, I saw an ice cream truck that said Big Daddy's Sweet Licks on it, and I thought that was totally inappropriate for an ice cream truck. So <laughs> I made a, uh, I made a, uh, like a cartoon ice cream cone, and I used a 70s bubble font in pink, and I made a shirt that says Big Daddy's Sweet Licks, and I've sold a few of those. Um, it's more, I mean, yes, I love the check that comes every month, but it's more of a, an ego thing for me that, my shirts are being worn all over the world, and some of my shirts are pretty crazy. So it's kind of just enjoyable. The money's kind of how I keep score. You do excellent at it. You you have totally surpassed my business by leaps and bounds. Of course, I'm very lazy when it comes mm. to making new designs. But uh, for a while there, I know you were working diligently, like day and night, making T-shirts. Are you still up to that? No, I, I the last thing I made was bacon whore. Or I need my bacon time. That was my last one, and that I, I mean I just. I don't make them very often anymore. I just kind of coast. I need to put more work into it, um, and I will. I'll get back on that. What was your best month? I don't know. I had a World Cup. I had something up for the World Cup, and I think I probably made $500 in one month. My best month is always Christmas. Yeah. I think my best month at Christmas was about, I did a $650 month where that's what I made. Wow. Yeah, mine top is like 350 360 something like that. Not too shabby. Yeah, for the amount of work I put into it, I do pretty good. Right. Uh, that's uh, one thing I think you and me both share, probably along with a lot of other guys in the world, is uh, like, I don't know how to put it, maybe our entrepreneurial spirit. Sure, that's a good way to put it. We're always looking for like what we can make money at, what new project we can do. Sure, I, I drove a car full of weed. <laughs> that's <a> side job. <laughs> I'm sure that pays good. I've you know? tried to parlay that into something more, but uh, you know, the truck driving companies don't want me. Pharmaceutical companies are turning me down. Uh, uh, Greyhound from Houston to Birmingham. Like I already know. I know the way. I can do this. Like I can give. This, I, I know this road. Here it is in writing. Just give me a Johnny Cash CD and twelve Red Bulls. I can do this. <laughs> Uh, what are some of the business ideas you've had, like, and ones that worked, ones that haven't? <laughs> I don't think any of them have worked. <laughs> or else we wouldn't be here doing we this, We wouldn't right? be here doing this. I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be at the interview for non-famous people. I'd be at the, <laughs> I'd be, 
I'd be at Larry King or uh, that that guy that interviews the actors, the actor studio. The um, oh, hello there. Yeah, that guy. Whatever the hell his name is. Sheboygan, go ahead. That's Larry King. <laughs> Who is that guy at the actor studio? James Lipton. James Lipton. Hmm. Very good. Yeah, I'd be with him right now. Uh, this interview is a testament to your... Plainness? <laughs> Simplicity? What word are you looking for? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Failure? <laughs> this, is, uh, this is it right here. This is... I, I like our show. Uh, the, the two taglines we have for it are, of course, you don't have to be famous to be interesting. And the other one is everyone has a story. I do like that. I, yes, that's true. There's a story. There's something interesting about everybody. Mm-hmm. But I'm just drunk and feeling sorry for myself now because I'm at Albie's house being interviewed <laughs> on a show about interesting... This will get listened to by hundreds of people. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we have, we have a good little community here that likes that, though. All right, so... Um... Really? Have we gone through all the questions? Oh, uh, we have some questions from uh, people on Facebook. <laughs> so let me get to that. This one is from Karen. Oh, okay. Maybe you could ask your next guest if he has ever gone back to a place he once lived, like, let's say, Lawrence, Kansas, to reconnect with a former love and to figure out just what happened. <laughs> okay, yes. I went back to Kansas City. Okay, I had a friend die on my porch in Kansas City of a heart attack. And years later, would have been his 40th birthday. And I get a, I get a request from someone on Facebook. My friend who died, his name was Forrest, his, his ex-girlfriend, his girlfriend at the time of his death, said, we're putting together a party. It would have been Forrest's 40th birthday. We'd love it if you'd come back. I hadn't been back to Kansas City in 20 years. So... I did go. Don't know what I was looking for. Don't know what I expected. Yeah. It, it was nice. I went back. I, I I stayed with my friend Stu, who had been my roommate back in Kansas City. And uh, I had lunch with the girl that I had dated back then, Jill. And uh, we went out to lunch, and it was nice. Uh, it was nice seeing her. It was nice finally getting some, I guess, closure. I, I mean, it's not like I needed any, but it was nice to have. And uh, see how our lives both turned out and see that we uh, both ended up okay. And, yeah, it was, I mean, that, that was it. I mean, we went out to lunch and, you know, it was probably, I, I wished we could have spent more time together and probably glad that we didn't. I mean, I don't know. It, uh, it was a good time. It was nice seeing her. And Karen is just kidding. She's not really, I don't think she's actually jealous of that. But No. Uh, she goes on to say, Okay, on a more serious note, I thought it interesting that his mom, a librarian, used to carry a gun to school in the 60s. They lived near the church bombing in Birmingham, which we talked about a little bit. She carried a gun? Yes. My mom was a teacher in Birmingham, Alabama, back in the late 60s, early 70s. And, uh, you know, for those of you that don't know about your history, it was a turbulent time in Birmingham and Mississippi, and pretty much the whole South. That was the integration thing? Well, integration, race riots in general, uh, there was a lot of shit going on back then. And, uh, you know, all those all those scenes you see of people getting attacked by police dogs and sprayed with hoses, that's, that's Birmingham. Uh, so my mom was a teacher in a high school, and she used to, I just, that's one of my earliest memories, too. My mom used to carry a, uh, like a snub nose, like the guns that the detectives always carried in old cop shows. Right. My mom had one of those, and she'd carry it into school with her. 
And uh, as we got older, I remember my mom carried it in the car underneath her seat, always had a loaded pistol, which was, I thought, strange even at an early age. That was just odd to me, and I found it strange that she was allowed to have a gun in a school. And Yeah, now there's laws it has got to be like... Well, now there's metal detectors, and there are laws for good reason. I mean... A thousand feet or something. Yeah. She goes on to say, on a side note, I don't want to know who taught John Cunnilingus or who he learned it on. <laughs> I think that's a callback to one of your other interviews where we talked about how you learned how to do that. Yes. Um, and it was Gary, the guest before me, <laughs> taught him everything he knows. Yes. I don't know who taught me that. I don't think I learned. I think I figured it out myself, and it was clumsy at first. And I'd like to say to all the women that I started with, I've gotten much better. <laughs> Sorry about all that. Thank you for <laughs> indulging me, an awkward 30-year-old boy learning how to do that for the first time. No, I, I, I don't know. Sorry. <laughs> One thing about Karen that I take away from your guys' relationship, her in general, is uh, a lot of wives are just... I don't know, not supportive or not um, not cool. <laughs> I, I don't know how else to put it, but Karen seems very cool. And uh, like a lot of my friends, the girlfriends or wives, they just they don't want nothing to do with me or whatever like that. But she goes out of her way to, to uh, make me always feel welcomed at your home and stuff like that. She just seems like a great person. Well, you're, you're her backup husband. <laughs> we have talked about that. You're the backup plan. Yes. Uh, plan B. Don't know what we're going to do about Heather. Um, I'm all about polygamy. Is that a Mormon reference? I don't know. J- I, they got a good idea. I mean... No. They... Oh, come on. <laughs> <laughs> that won't make it in there. Yeah, Karen uh, Karen likes doing housework. Yes, she keeps a very no, clean house. she hates doing housework, but she hates it when I do housework. So she's... And I don't do this on purpose. I really don't. But when we first started living together, I would wash the dishes, I would do things, and it just was never quite clean enough. So I just gave up. But sadly, I can't do all the man stuff either. Like, I'm not good at mowing lawns. <laughs> I'm not good at killing things. I'm not good at moving things. I'm not good at earning money. I'm just, yeah, I'm kind of a disappointment as far as that goes. It's a good thing that I'm charming. <laughs> <laughs> Very charming. I A little charm goes a long way. Yeah, I think uh, everybody that knows you has a little crush on you. <laughs> And it's the truth. Every time anybody hangs out with you, they're always looking at you and they've got sparkles in their eyes. <laughs> and the sparkles quickly turn away when I turn and look at them. I, they're good at hiding the sparkles. You used to have a Christmas party. I did used to have a Christmas Every party. Every year. which And it was ridiculously lavish. And uh, I remember I came over maybe five years in a row, four years in a row or something like that. Oh, now you're bringing back... Now you've brought back painful memories. Now you've finally done it. Out of everything we've talked about, yes. When I first met Albie, when I first met you, I invited you to my Christmas party, which we stupidly decided to have on Christmas Eve, and we spent $1,000 on food and booze and had the house. We had candles out in the yard, you know, and little bags all over the place, luminaries. We had... We went completely apeshit. We had a fire pit in the backyard, picnic tables. Oh, my God. And you and our neighbors were the only people that showed up, our immediate <laughs> neighbors behind us. And they brought their parents. And, and it was embarrassing, and it was horrible, and you stayed till the very end. And I appreciated that. And I told Karen, from now on, every Christmas, we treat Albie like a little kid, and we hook him up with presents. And you did. And we did. Yeah, I got to know the Germans that night very well. Yes. Yes. I'm, I'm not going to say anything more about that night with that. Uh. 
you met me before I met Heather. That's true. Yes, I would bring different strange girls to your parties every year up until Heather. Each more horrible than the next <laughs> until Heather came along. There were some doozies. Yes, there were. And if any of you are listening, sorry. <laughs> I'm not having a Christmas party this year. Do not feel the need to show up. Uh, yeah, yeah. Some of those girls were interesting. Yeah, we had great parties. Huge parties. People still get pissy when we tell them that we're not having one. They think they're just not being invited. I was going to say, are you really not having them, or am I just stopped? No, being no, invited? no, no. You'd be definitely invited. Uh, we've just stopped having them. We're uh, maybe we'll have one this year. You know what? Fuck it. Let's have one this year. Yeah, that's it. We're gonna have a Christmas party this year. Cool. Done. Done. Am I invited? Of course. Cool. You're part of the setup crew. You know that. I'm Team Green. That's right. Team Green always meets an hour before, and there's always pizza involved. I love pizza. I know you do. I'm usually in charge of the luminaries now. That's right. Albie does the luminaries. Pretty proud of them. Heather usually helps Karen, mm-hmm. and uh, I go get the pizza. It's always fun. Yeah, let's do that this year. Let's have a Christmas party. All right, no need to go overboard and go crazy. No, absolutely we will. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay, we'll have a Christmas party. This may be the Sky Vodka talking. <laughs> You'll be listening to this in a couple of days Sky going, Sky Vodka. What the heck was I talking about? Brought to you by the good people at Sky Vodka, the people that will be bringing you Christmas this year. At the Greens. At the Greens. Mazel tov. <laughs> the thing that happened in the news on the day you were born was they blew up a whale in Oregon with dynamite. <laughs> uh, a whale had beached itself a few days before you were born, and they didn't know how to, they didn't know how to get rid of it. They didn't want to bury it because they thought was it, it might dead rot. already it when they blew dead. it up. Oh, okay, Jesus <laughs> Christ! I, I failed to mention that. I thought the whale's like, no, come on, like we did, push me again. Like, were we giving up on this already? No, get a shovel. Uh, so you don't know anything about this? No. Okay, I got to show you the news clip. Why would I know that? It happened on the day you were born. I was busy doing other stuff that day. Uh, okay, you want to watch this? Yes. This is K two News, the spirit of the Northwest. It had to be said, the Oregon State Highway Division not only had a whale of a problem on its hands, it had a stinking whale of a problem. What to do with one 45-foot, 8-ton whale dead on arrival on the beach near Florence? It had been so long since a whale had washed up in Lane County, nobody could remember how to get Lane rid of county. one. That's my county. In selecting its battle plan, the highway division decided the carcass couldn't be buried because it might soon be uncovered. It couldn't cut up and then buried because nobody wanted to cut it up, and it couldn't be burned. So dynamite it was, some 20 cases or a half ton of it. The hope was that the long-dead Pacific gray whale would be almost disintegrated by the blast and that any small pieces still around after the explosion would be taken care of by seagulls and other scavengers. <laughs> well, I'm confident that it'll work. The only thing is we're not sure just exactly how much uh, explosives it'll take to disintegrate this things so the scavengers, seagulls, and crabs and whatnot can clean it up. The dynamite was buried primarily on the leeward side of the big mammal, so as most of the remains would be blown toward the sea. About 75 bystanders, most of them residents who had first found the whale to be an object of curiosity before they tired of its smell, were moved back a quarter of a mile away. Oh, my God. 
Tell me they're being pelted by pieces of whale meat. They are. The camera stopped rolling immediately after the blast. The humor of the entire situation suddenly gave way to a run for survival as huge chunks of whale blubber fell everywhere. A parked car over a quarter of a mile from the blast site was the target of one large chunk. The passenger compartment literally snapped. No human was hit as badly as the car. However, everyone on the scene was covered with small particles of dead whale. The highway crews were back on the beach burying the remains, including a large piece of the carcass which never left the blast site. It might be concluded that should a whale ever wash ashore in Lane County again, those in charge will not only remember what to do, they'll certainly remember what not to do. <laughs> that is awesome. You can find out more about that at theexplodingwhale.com. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. So again, near where you grew up, or near where you lived, and... Um... Well, it was near where I ended up moving to. Okay. On the day I was born, all the way across the country. That was near Eugene, which is where I... It, it made national news that's, that day, so... Whoever gave birth to you, that was like playing on the car radio as they were going to the hospital or whatever. Okay. That's an interesting... That's pretty damn cool. So they've learned from that, I guess, not to do that again. <laughs> that's one of those things where it seemed like a good idea at the time. <laughs> they were pelted with dead whale parts. That was awesome. That uh, My research department turned that up. There, there's a whole article if you want it. No. Oh, you're Thank good? You. Okay. Yeah. Um, Speaking of gay sex and truck stops. Yes, how did that go for you? <laughs> that was one of your least favorite jobs or favorite jobs? <laughs> I'll let you know. I'll let you know how it works out. Oh, you're just starting that one? <laughs> it's a summer gig. What do you find yourself doing eventually? I know you you work at a restaurant right now. Yes, I'm not going to say which one. No, but uh, like, is that what you uh, want to do? For I think I'm just kind of fated to do it. I'm I mean I'm good at it. You're really good at uh, at least cooking. I I would love it if I could just be a cook. I would love that if I could make enough money to live on. I I can't. Uh, uh, I'm probably going to end up in the restaurant industry. Um, looking for. I don't know. I don't know what I'm looking for. I think uh, it's going to have to do with food some way. I don't think I can wait tables too much longer. You work a lot. I do work a lot. Uh, it's it's shocking to me because, you know, I can do, like I said, about 36 hours maybe, and I'm spent for the week. You're working two jobs since I've known you, sometimes three. Uh, you were a pizza delivery boy when I first met you. That's how you knew Chris Khan. Yes. That was uh, an interesting job. Delivering pizzas, you ever go ring the doorbell and then the woman answers naked? Yes, that happened one time. She actually walked out on her porch. She walked past the window wearing a towel. When she came out, she was totally naked. It was some weird game she was playing, and she played it well. <laughs> <laughs> Is that considered the tip, or do they start mm. the tip? She gave me a $3 tip, and then I promptly went back to Domino's and told everybody, because everyone had stories. This was like my third week. Everybody had great stories, and I didn't have any stories, and I felt like this story would put me in the uh, the the big book, on the big board, and it did, and then everybody else started delivering to that lady, and they all <laughs> had the same thing happen. Really? And then she stopped ordering. Hmm. I guess we weren't giving her what she wanted. If you look that up on the internet, because for some reason I did one night, like, uh, pizza delivery nude, and that seems to be a big thing that women do, is answer the door naked when they order pizza. That's awesome. God bless the United States of America. <laughs> How bored people are. They just, you yeah. know what? I'm going to get naked and order a pizza. 
Yeah. I, I'm trying to think if I ever answered the door naked. I've answered the door in my underwear before. I think if a guy did it, it'd be they'd probably get prosecuted. No, guys did that too. I've seen a lot of big dick coming out of boxer <laughs> shorts. <laughs> and that was apparently the tip, because I didn't get anything else. <laughs> the tip of the dick. <laughs> yeah, I got to see a big cock. <laughs> not not as pleasant as you might think it would no. be. No. Marriage going good? So, uh, we're going to have a naming ceremony for the baby, which is kind of odd. It kind of takes place of, uh... Christening? Yes. A naming ceremony. Will there be swords? (laughs) (laughs) No. Can there be swords? Um, possibly. Okay, fine. Cool. 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 I'll bring a sword. (laughs) I don't know what that comes from. I don't know. I'm just... I'm just spitballing. There's no, there's no wrong answers in uh, brainstorming. Okay. I thought you were asking me to help you organize your no, ceremony. It'll just be Where's it going to be at? Cheese. Uh... <laughs> That's a good idea. With swords. It's your, it's your ceremony. Just tell me where to be. I'll be there. All right. What do I have to do? I don't know yet. We're making it up as we go along. Wait, who's performing the ceremony? We were thinking just me and Heather. Who's the MC? I know we got uh, Steve playing music. Okay. Fine. He's going to play uh, The Circle of Life from The Lion King when we hold the baby up. <laughs> so I don't know if we're going to put it in a little uh, lion costume, you know. When we bring out the sword, can we play the music from like when Aslan got stabbed in the Narnia? Yes. I'm just kidding. That would no, be weird. Probably uh, weird. I'll just bring the sword. Okay. So I don't. what do I have to do? I don't think anything. We just say the baby's name, right? So all your friends are pissed off that me and Karen are going to be these people, too? I believe so. And they don't really get it because they don't know me. Probably not, because, like... No, that's I'm not saying that they, they just don't get it because they haven't talked to me. They just don't know who the hell I am, so they're like, why the hell is this guy? Like, we don't know him. Why is he suddenly, you know... And and your answer is because he has a car and a job, right? Right. Like, that's the answer. Right, he's responsible. And they can't say shit to that. No. Yeah, most of my friends don't know each other. It's weird. I always hang out with them one-on-one, pretty much. Yeah, that's a, that's a, like a junkie trick. You is keep it? everybody in bubbles, <laughs> and you make sure the bubbles don't ever touch each other. Yeah, absolutely. Really? That's a survival trick. Hmm. I read that in a book. I'm a treasure trove of worthless knowledge, information, trivia. Pass them on to me. I just did. Um, <laughs> you're, you're surviving by not connecting all your bubbles. Right. So if one bubble pops, it doesn't really screw up another bubble over here. It's more for people that you'd be getting your drugs from as a junkie, right. if you were a junkie. Hmm. I wonder what I'm addicted to in this scenario. Um, I don't know. Being the most reliable and dependable of all your friends, you're the ringmaster here. In that song by Elton John, The Circle of Freaks, you're the, I don't know, the lion on the mountain or something. <laughs> I don't know. I haven't I don't heard know. that song, actually. I don't know. I've never heard it either. I like to be the alpha male in my group, and uh, you're probably one of the few exceptions, because I consider you... To be the alpha male in our relationship, <laughs> so I'm the I'm the uh, I'm the man. Is that what you're yeah, saying? you're the top. I'm, I'm the, the bottom in this yeah, situation. Okay. okay, bottom boy. I don't know. I think it's just a survival technique that I've learned over the years uh, to be the alpha male in every situation. But I made an exception in your case because, again, of that uh, crush that everybody has on you. <laughs> I have a Charles Manson-like quality about me. Yes. No, I don't. No. <laughs> <laughs> I wish. He was up for parole again. He's still alive? Yeah. Wow. I mean, he's not happy. Yeah, he's not doing well. They say he won't make his next parole. Like, he'll just be... He'll be dead. So, so far we mentioned uh, Charles Manson and Ted Bundy. And Ted Bundy. Do you have a fascination with serial killers, or...? Uh, I wouldn't say fascination. I have a 
Did you buy the Time Life series on them? No. But you know who would love that? Karen. Really? Absolutely. I buy her that freaky shit all the time. And it usually... I know she likes it, but I like it too. But not enough to buy it for myself. But I'll buy it for her. And if it's in the bathroom, when I'm in the bathroom, I'll read it. So yeah, I do get her all sorts of like CSI stuff and serial killer stuff. And yeah, I don't I guess I... I guess I do have a thing for serial killers. Serial killers. <laughs> oh no. We'll we'll edit that out. <laughs> <laughs> I have a thing for serial killers. I try no, to pattern my thought, killing after. I always, <laughs> I always thought it'd be kinda cool to write Charles Manson a letter because he does write back. And I'd probably use my job as the address, so <laughs> I'd get a letter sent to me from Charles Manson <laughs> at my job. I mean I don't think he was cool, but He's definitely got a big personality. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to write him a letter this week. <laughs> I love how you just decide to do things. Yeah, and you... we're going to have a Christmas party. I'm going to write Charles Manson a letter and... Something else before the end of this conversation, I'm sure. Yeah. Your Christmas tree is like the coolest Christmas tree I've ever seen. Why is that? It's the tallest. It's a tall Christmas tree. It's got Star Wars all over it and Elvis stuff. There's Simpsons stuff, too. Simpsons stuff. You have the Simpsons collectible houses, those holiday yeah, houses. Yeah, I dig the Simpsons, and I dig Christmas. And I dig my Christmas tree. You ever been over to people's house and they just have a Christmas tree with blue balls on it? And you're like, there's no creativity there at all? Or no sentimentality to it. There's nothing, you know, like Karen and I have a Christmas ornament from every year we've been together. We got Christmas ornaments from before we were together. We got Christmas or- We get new Christmas ornaments every year as Christmas gifts. And we love that, by the way. And uh, Yeah, you got us uh, one, at least one, I know. Did we? Yeah, like the creepy little elf-looking dude. Oh, yeah, those things are hideous. Yeah, but we put that on the tree. Uh, we Everywhere we go, like on a trip or vacation, we always get an ornament. So when we look at yeah. the tree, we remember right. one. Your tree is a story. It tells a story of your life together. And Star Trek ornaments. And Star Trek. Yeah, I dig, I dig my tree. I really love Christmas, which is weird. Both of us like Christmas, and we're both non-believers, but I think Christmas has evolved past any religious, uh, well, you know, uh, traditions, really. It's a good story. I can dig peace on earth, goodwill towards man. You don't have to believe in God for that. You don't have to be religious for that. You can just believe in peace on earth. Yeah. I'm down with that. It's, it's the one day out of the year where we can all sort of, you know, be nice. And, yeah, that's cool. That's not, that's not Jesus. That's... Right, right, right. Just be cool. That's it. This year I've decided to be cool. <laughs> Just be cool, man. You got anything to plug? Any websites? No, no, no. I, you know, I got some ideas. I got some things working, but I'm not going to talk about them. I hate to do that. I just don't want to give up the ideas right now because somebody more industrious than I would go out and do it before I get it done. So maybe we'll do a follow-up interview next year. <laughs> and part two. Where are they now? <laughs> <laughs> Where are they now? It's been a year since we told John about the whale that got blown up with dynamite. <laughs> Let's see how that has affected his year. Um, okay. We uh, like to usually end our conversations here with a couple of questions. We call them the big questions. <laughs> are you ready for this? I am. Uh, you haven't heard our first couple of shows, so you don't know what's coming, right? I have no idea. All right. Um, some of them are pretty simple. What's the meaning of life? Jesus. Okay. I think the meaning of life... This is try to get through it and have the most experiences that you can without affecting other people's experiences in a negative way. I guess that's not really a meaning. That's more of a, a goal. I don't know. I think the meaning of life is just to get through it, finish the game without killing yourself. I don't know. Jesus, I wasn't ready for this. <laughs> Shit. Ah. Uh, 
I don't know what the meaning of life is. I'm hoping I don't figure it out on my deathbed. I'm hoping I just die. Because <laughs> that's going to piss me off. <laughs> when it's something so obvious, like, oh, shit, are you kidding me? It's like, wait, it was all a dream? No! <laughs> I don't know. Give me the next question. If you could leave the world one thought that you learned in your life that you don't want to die with you, what would that be? Wow. You just gotta have a sense of humor about things. Otherwise, you'll just go crazy. None of this matters at all. So you gotta be able to laugh at it. That's nice. Yeah. Jesus. (laughs) You notice how I wait till you get down in the middle of that bottle before I start asking these things. How would you like to be remembered? One thing I've figured out about listening back to this show is like, you know how everybody's Facebook after they're dead, they always put like pictures up or something of the person. I'm sure these interviews will go up on those pages. How would you like to be remembered? How would I like to be remembered? That I was a good person. Do I believe that? Not in any way. I think I'd probably, the best I could expect is that I made people laugh. You make me laugh every time we hang out. Well, you're kind of a whore with the laughter, too, to be fair. <laughs> but thank you. I think I think that's it. That's the best I could expect. Thought I made people laugh. Our final big question is, tell me something about yourself that no one else knows. <laughs> I'm trying really hard to create a story about killing a hooker in Las Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, I'm terrified about looking outside of windows at night because I'm always scared that someone's going to be looking back in through the window at me. Because of the one-way window effect or just... No, just because I'm terrified of people coming up to my window at night and I'm terrified I don't look out of windows at night. I never knew that about you. No, nobody really does. Not even my wife. Now she does. Now she does. Now she's going to scare me. It'll be a fun uh, Christmas party this year. <laughs> Nobody in the house. Everybody's going to be hanging outside the house looking in a window. <laughs> we'll lock you in and you'll be freaking out. Huddled in a little ball in the corner. Yes, in one of the rooms without windows. <laughs> That's funny. Well, thank you very much for uh, doing a conversation with Albie. Hey, thank you. It's been fun. I learned a lot and I appreciate it. Sure. I'm interested to see how this plays out. Hopefully we do a part two one day. Hopefully. Where are they now? Probably Oregon or Mississippi or Canada. At the Serial Killer Museum, perhaps. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thank you, Mr. Green. Thank you. What can I say about Jonathan Green? He's a really close friend. We talk on the phone all the time, but it's usually in short bursts about t-shirt sales, newest designs, what's going on in our lives, and then we're done. There's so much more I wanted to talk about that I'm really looking forward to the next time we get to hear John Green on a conversation with Albie. You don't have to be famous to be interesting, and everyone has a story. This is Albie saying, life is what you make of it, so make it a good one. I'll see you next time. Thank you for joining us for this episode of A Conversation with Albie. Go to barrenspace.com to listen to new installments of this and other great podcasts from Barren Space Productions. Support from listeners like you help keep this podcast operating. You can find a link to donate using PayPal on barrenspace.com. 
The thoughts and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the individual and do not necessarily represent or reflect those of a conversation with Albie, Barron Space Productions, its partners, or affiliates. Special thanks to Stephen Order for web maintenance and ZeroPain.com for providing reliable and painless web service. A Conversation with Albie is edited by Albie. A Conversation with Albie is a Barron Space production, copyright 2012, all rights reserved. <laughs>